listening to the sermons from St. Timothy's Church. For more information, please check out our website at stTimothystores.org or come visit us Sunday nights at 615 at the St. Mark's Chapel right here on the Yukon campus. And Father, we do proclaim that together. You are altogether lovely, altogether wonderful, altogether worthy. And we've come tonight because we believe that. We've come tonight because we proclaim that. And we come tonight to experience that. So Father, meet us here. Meet us in your loveliness. Meet us in your worthiness. Meet us in your wonderfulness. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Well, you guys can have a seat. And just like we do every week, we believe that God's word is living and active and speaks to all of us corporately, but also each of us individually. So we're going to take a moment and just invite God to speak. Speak to us uniquely, speak to us individually, speak to us in our context and our circumstances. So as we listen to God's word being read over us tonight, I invite you to close your eyes and just experience the words and see what stands out, what words, what phrases, what emotions. What is God drawing your attention to? And so as we prepare to hear God's word, I just invite you, close your eyes and take a deep breath in through your mask, breathing in the goodness of God. And then a long, slow breath out. And a deep breath in, just drawing your attention to be here, now, in this place. And a long, slow breath out, just letting go of any stress or worries, pain or distraction that you carried in with you. So, Father, speak to us through your word. We are listening with open hands, with open hearts, and open minds. Mark 2, verses 1 through 12. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man, carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the man, lowered the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there, thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, Why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, We have never seen anything like this. So speak to us in the silence, Father. What do you want to talk to us about?
Well, and this is why the scriptures never grow old. Because ten people in a room can get ten different things from the same passage. That God is speaking to each of us all the time, uniquely and specifically. So my prayer is that he will continue talking to you about whatever conversation he started this evening. Um, and that conversation will carry you through your week. This week we're going to dive into this passage, Mark 2, 1 through 12. And it really kind of picks up where last week left off. And if you remember last week, Vince sort of pointed out that the disobedience of the leper had consequences. So Jesus heals this leper and he says, don't tell anyone. Go straight to the priest, but don't tell anyone on your way. And what does the leper do? Does he listen? Does he obey? Does he do as Jesus asks? Absolutely not. Um, Out of maybe well-meaning gratitude, being so overcome with gratitude for what the Lord had done for him, or thinking he knew better, thinking he knew best, thinking what he was going to do as he pleased, he went and told everyone he encountered. He shared the good news of Jesus' healing to everyone along his way. Um, Which results in what we see today. Jesus is thronged by people. Jesus, who wants to have a quieter ministry, who doesn't want to be... um, doesn't want to have his name in lights just yet, is thronged by people. So the disobedience of, Je- of the leper means has continued consequences, consequences for this paralyzed man. So Jesus has to hide out to avoid the constant needs of the crowd, the constant demands. He has to set some boundaries so that he can get rest and peace and time with God the Father to do the work that God has called him to do. But if you've ever felt like other people's mistakes, other people's sins, other people's disobedience are blocking your blessings, then I would say this passage tells us take heart. No circumstance can stop your healing, your blessing, your prayer. This this seemingly impossible circumstance where there's no way to get to Jesus because of someone else's disobedience does not stop the healing of the paralyzed man. You just need some faithful, fearless, well-muscled friends. But if Jesus is going to heal you, then Jesus will heal you, regardless of the impossibility of your circumstances. And these faithful, fearless, well-muscled friends are really the key to this passage. Because without them, none of this happens. Without their faith, without their fearlessness, without their ingenuity, this would be a very different story. Without them, it would just have been a two-sentence story. Some men came, bringing to Jesus a paralyzed man. Since they could not get to him, to Jesus because of the crowd, they went home. That's what the story would have been. But not for the faith of these fearless, faithful friends who saw an obstacle as an opportunity. They literally made a way where there was no way. We talk about making a way where there is no way, but that's literally what they do. They climbed up the ladder. Most of these early first century houses would have had a ladder, uh, would have had a staircase on the side of the home, um, because many times people would, would sleep or rest or look out from the roof. They would have a flat roof. So these men carried that mat, carried, carried their friend on the mat up the staircase on the side of the house, onto the flat roof and then maybe they came prepared with a shovel maybe they just went at it with their hands but they dug a hole a mattress sized hole through the roof through the mud and the straw they dug their way down to Jesus and because that's what disciples do they bring people to Jesus 
They bring people to Jesus because they know only Jesus can heal. Only Jesus can restore. Only Jesus can make right. And the narrative doesn't tell us exactly what's wrong with this man. They don't say, is it an injury? Is it an illness? Is it something he was born with? Is it something that has happened to him because of someone else? But we do know that he is suffering, that he's desperate, and that this seems like his last best hope. That his friends know there probably isn't another way to help this man. Maybe they've tried everything else. Maybe they've talked to every doctor. They've talked to other healers. They've talked to other itinerant religious figures. And nothing has worked. Jesus is their last best hope. And I wonder if you've ever been in that position. You have a friend who is hurting physically, emotionally, spiritually, who is literally or figuratively limping through life. And they just can't seem to get the help they need. Have you ever been in that position where you feel helpless to help a friend? I want you to just take a minute and think about it. Put yourself in this position. Have you ever wanted to help someone you love, someone you care about, but you felt helpless? And if someone you know is in need, if you have felt this position where you want so badly to help the person that you love, but you don't know what to do, you don't know where to go, you don't know how to make it better, then this passage offers us a way forward. This passage serves as an invitation. It shows us how to be fearless, faithful friends. Not through great advice, which I know many of you have, Not through constant availability. Not through leveraging our financial resources, our relational resources, but simply by bringing people to Jesus. Because like we said, that's what disciples do and that's what friends do. They bring the people they love, the people who are hurting, the people in need, they bring those people to Jesus. Because they know, they've tried the other avenues. And they know that only Jesus can heal what is broken. So maybe you know this from personal experience. You've tried to fix your friends. You've tried to help your children. You've tried to bring hope and peace and joy where there is no hope, no peace, no joy. And you can't force it. You can't make healing where there is no healing. You can't force people to, to fix what's, what's wrong, what's hurting, what's falling apart in their lives. So we can't do that, but as the story shows, Jesus can. He can heal broken bodies. He can heal broken hearts. He can heal broken memories. He can bring peace. He can bring hope. He can bring joy. So as you were thinking about that moment of hopelessness that you've experienced as well, I would just encourage you, bring your loved ones, bring your friends to Jesus. You don't necessarily have to load them up on a mattress and lower them through a ceiling. That might not be welcomed or invited in our day and age. But So how do you bring them to Jesus? First, foremost, you pray for them. Constantly, continually. You pray when everyone else has stopped praying. You pray when everyone else has forgotten to pray. You pray when they've stopped praying. 
When they think it's hopeless, you persevere. You keep praying. You bring them to Jesus over and over and over again. You ask God to help them. You ask God how you should help them. You ask God to do what only he can do. Transform hopeless situations. Don't do what you think to do. Do what God guides you to do. So how do we bring people to Jesus? We pray. We pray constantly. We pray continually. We pray faithfully. And then we invite people. When you're going to meet Jesus, invite people to come with you. Invite them to church. Invite them to Bible study. Invite them to game night. Invite them to worship nights. If you're going somewhere to be with Jesus, invite them to come with you. We don't lean on our own strength, on our own love, on our own wisdom, on our own advice. We pray, we invite, we make space for them to be with Jesus. So we think this story is crazy because this, these fearless, faithful friends dig a hole in a roof and lower their friend down. But if you were standing in that room, in that little 16 by 16 room, watching the hole get bigger and bigger and bigger and the clay and the straw falling down all over you, you'd say, yeah, this is a little crazy. This is not an everyday occurrence. But what would be even crazier, what would be like, what is going on here? What world am I living in? Is when Jesus says, sons, your sins are forgiven. Because remember, up until now, Jesus has been a teacher, and he's been a healer. And there are other teachers and healers ministering in that era, in that day, to these people. And the the Israelites had a category for this type of person. The itinerant minister, the itinerant healer, the itinerant preacher, the itinerant prophet. There was Old Testament examples. There were contemporary examples. And Jesus did it with more authority. We saw a few weeks ago, Jesus did it with more authority than anyone else was doing, anyone else had done. And he did it with more magnitude. He healed hundreds of people, whereas other healers might heal a handful in a lifetime. So Jesus was healing and teaching with more authority and with more magnitude than anyone else had done. But they had seen someone like Jesus before. But never had they seen someone forgive sins. Never had they heard someone say, Sons, your, Son, your sins are forgiven. That was what happened in the temple. They have a, a whole religious system to, to um, forgive people of their sins. You go to the temple, you make your offering to the priest, the priest does, performs prayers on your behalf, and only then would you be forgiven by sins by God himself. Because only God could forgive sins. But here's this man sitting in this house under a hole in the roof with a man on a mattress at his feet saying, Sons, your sins are forgiven. This is not a temple. He is not a priest. There have not been the formal prayers, the formal sacrifices, the formal offerings. What is he doing? Why is he saying, Sons, your sins are forgiven. Son, your sins are forgiven. Even the friends who lowered Jesus down on the mattress would have been shocked. This is not what they were expecting. They wanted a healing. 
They didn't expect forgiveness. But remember, why do we bring people to Jesus? Because Jesus will do more than we could have asked. Jesus will do more than we expected. Jesus will heal and restore things we never even knew our friends and our loved ones needed. So in these five simple, unexpected, compassionate words, Jesus not only healed and restored and made right, but he taught a room full of people who he was. He gave them hope and faith that the Messiah had come. So he didn't just heal the man in front of him. He gave hope and faith and restoration to a crowded room full of people who said, who is this man? And Jesus said, I am God. I am God in the flesh. Come to give you what you could not give yourself. Come to give you the hope that you could not have for yourself. Come to be the long-awaited Messiah that you have lived and prayed and waited for. I have come. So Jesus heals and he brings hope and he restores not just the man on the mattress, but a room full of people, shoulder to shoulder, desperate for hope, struggling day after day after day. Why have they come? Because they're desperate. Because they're starving physically, emotionally, spiritually. So why do we bring our friends to Jesus? Because he does more. He does what we cannot do. And he doesn't just heal one person. He heals a room full of people. And of course there are always scoffers. The religious leaders who think that they know, that they know, that they know what a Messiah should look like what a teacher should do, what forgiveness, how forgiveness should be experienced. But the friends know more. They trust Jesus. These experts, these teachers of the law who should know God when God is in front of them, don't recognize him. But these fear, these fearless, faithful friends who just know that they need to get their friends some help. They don't fully understand who Jesus is, but they trust their gut. They go with what they know, that their friend needs help, their friend needs healing, so they will bring him to Jesus. What's interesting to me is all of this is happening, all of this action, all of this power, all of this display is happening around this paralyzed man on the mat, and we get nothing from him. We we don't know his name, we don't know his story, we don't even know what he did when he was healed. It just says he picked up his mat and walked out, which is the most sort of understated description of a miraculous healing I've ever heard. Picked up your mat and walked out. Not, there's no, they don't describe, the crowd celebrate, but we see nothing from the man. And I think that's because fundamentally the story is not about the man. This whole healing happens, yes, the man is benefited by it, but it's for the crowds, it's for us, and it's to honor the faith of the friends. It's not fundamentally about the man on the mat. Because remember, what inspires Jesus to do the healing? The text says, when Jesus saw their faith. So it's not, he was, other passages we've seen, he was moved by, he was moved to compassion by the, the suffering of an individual. But here he's not moved to compassion by the suffering as much as he's, he is, he is just touched to his core by the faith of these friends that they believed before they fully understood, that they were willing to go to any lengths to bring their friend to Jesus. And again, the same opportunity is available to us to bring our friends to Jesus, to allow Jesus to be touched by our faith, 
to inspire Jesus to heal because of our faith. So we bring our friends, we bring our family, the people we love, we bring them to Jesus, not with a specific agenda, not saying, Jesus, do this. Because if you've walked with Jesus long enough, you know Jesus rarely does what you expect. There's always something more he's after, something deeper he's healing, something greater that he's doing in us and through us. So we bring our friends to Jesus, and we say, Jesus, help. Our friend needs you. Our, our loved one is hurting. Help us. And I know tonight I am preaching to myself as much as to anyone because I am prone to be a rescuer. There's nothing I love more than to help someone. I, I can even burst into tears just thinking about the people that I love that are hurting. It breaks my heart. So I want to help them. And I want to listen and I want to make life better and I want to fill them with baked goods because in my mind, that's what makes your life better. But invariably, this happens to me again and again and again and again. I try desperately to help people and I don't help them at all. I try desperately to fix what's wrong in their lives, to listen to them and to love them and to build up their confidence so they can do the things that God is calling them to do. But all that happens is they resent me and I resent them. Because I can't do what I want to... I can't help them the way they want to be helped. And they are not being helped the way I want them to be helped. So we just get this cycle of resentment. And no one's helped. No one's changed. No situation is made better. And when I step into that savior role, that's invariably what happens to me. It has happened time and time and time again. And I'm sure it's happened to you as well. You want so badly to help the people you love because your heart breaks as they suffer and struggle. But we can't do what only Jesus can do. And so I take the friends in in the scripture text today, I take their example as my example. Instead of trying to fix their friends themselves, they bring their friend to Jesus. They bring him right to the feet of Jesus, literally right to the feet of Jesus, so that Jesus can heal him the way only Jesus can heal. And as I wrap up, I would just point out, this choice is not without critics. We see it in the text, and we've probably experienced it ourselves. We're moving into a section of Mark where everything Jesus says and does becomes controversial. There's always people who are questioning, wondering, and beginning to plot to, for, to, end, his, to end his ministry and ultimately to end his life. So we're, enter, we're entering this section of Mark that is full of controversies. And this is, not, this is exactly the beginning of that moment when the teachers of the law look at Jesus with skepticism, with scoffing. They say, who is this man to say these things? And I'll say, when you bring people to Jesus, you will experience critics as well. You'll experience internal critics and external critics. Your internal monologue might say to you, you're praying for this person? Can't you do more for them than pray? Can't you do something more to help this person that you love? And I would say, you can't do more than pray. Praying for the people you love, bringing them to Jesus through prayer, is the greatest gift you can give someone. And I can tell you, I have been praying for graduate students to find jobs for 15 years. 
And sometimes it feels like I should do more. I should read their LinkedIn profiles. I should help them with their resumes. I should connect them with people I know. And that never goes anywhere. I can't tell you how many cover letters I've read and drafted. And it's not helped me and it's not helped them. But I have prayed and I have prayed and I have prayed. And in 15 years, I've never known someone to go without a job. It might come down right to the last moment where they think all hope is lost. But Jesus has always come through. Fifteen years I've prayed and I have never seen Jesus let, let someone down, leave someone without an option. So don't believe the voice that says you should do more than pray. There's nothing you can do more than pray for the people that you love to bring them into Jesus' presence. And you'll hear other people will say, bring them to Jesus. They need a... They need so many things. They need a job. They need a boyfriend. They need a girlfriend. They need... Uh, a therapist, they need a doctor, they need a coffee. And all those things are probably true. I'm sure that all of those things are true. They might need all of those things. And they should get all of those things. If you need a doctor, you should get a doctor. If you need medication, you should get medication. If you need a therapist, please get a therapist. They might need all of those things, but they also need Jesus. Jesus heals through doctors. Jesus loves through families. Jesus encourages through friends. And they can get all of those things from other people. But they might only get Jesus from you. So like the friends we saw in today's text, bring the people you love to Jesus. Constantly, continually, faithfully. When other people have given up, when other people have grown resentful, when other people have gotten discouraged, keep bringing the people you love to Jesus. Pray for them. Invite them. Invite them to church. Invite them to Bible study. Invite them to worship nights. Constantly, continually, faithfully. Jesus is a healer. And we want to bring the people we love to the feet of Jesus so that he can do what only Jesus can do. And so this is a pretty practical message. Bring people to Jesus is a verb. Bring, go, do. So we want to take a moment so that you can actually think about what are you going to do with with this passage, with this text, with this example, with this invitation. Who are you going to bring to Jesus? How are you going to bring to Jesus? So if you open up your bulletins, we've just identified two questions that I want you to just, we're going to give you a minute of silence or a minute of music. I want you to just think through who is Jesus inviting you to pray for? Who needs your help right now? There may be many people, but who first and foremost does Jesus want you to help? Does Jesus want you to pray for? And then spend a moment asking Jesus how how he would have you help them. And I would encourage you to write out a prayer and pray that for them every day this week. Commit. You're going to pray for this person. You're going to pray for this friend. Pray for them every day this week. So let me pray for us, and then we'll give you a little time to do this. So Father, we thank you that 
that you have called us into meaningful friendships, meaningful relationships, that you don't ask us to do life alone. And so as, as we move forward into our days and our weeks, who can we help? Who can we pray for? Who needs to be brought to your feet? We are willing, we are ready, we are prepared, Father. Let us be your hands and your feet, your prayers and your heart for, for a loved one in need.